All right. Welcome, everybody, to Finance Essentials. I'm your host, Danny Hudson. And this is, this is the... This is the show that you guys probably haven't heard from in a little while. I apologize. Um, I have been uh, insanely busy. Uh, but this is Finance Essentials with Danny Hudson. And I am Danny Hudson. I just wanted to say, say my name again um, in case maybe a, a lot of you folks listening at home or on the road or wherever you happen to listen or watch, uh, maybe you have you have forgotten me. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think this is the first show in like a month uh, and I love talking to you guys and interacting with you guys and, and hopefully providing some value and some education to, to you and myself. Um, and I have just been so busy over the last month uh, that it just hasn't it hasn't worked out, right? I mean, life gets in the way. Why does life get in the way of doing a podcast for you beautiful people? There are people out there that do this five times a week. What kind of lunatics could do something like that? <laughs> um, but man, I, I love it. I love the fact that 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 I'm here and I'm getting the chance to talk to you guys uh, in the first time for uh, in a month. And I've had this this episode that I wanted to do today, kind of in the spool, not really ready to go, but at least the the theme and the messaging behind um, today's show ready to go for a little while, but I've just been unable to pull the trigger. I mean, it was everything from um, some family was sick, and then we were going through the budget uh, as far as work goes, and um, my wife uh, had a co-worker who had COVID, um, and she and she's fine, so she, I, I know some people will probably be a little concerned, but, but she's okay. Um, but so my wife had to cover for her at at work and so you know we had to make situations work with the kids at home and trying to launch a business and you know all this kind of stuff that just gets in the way um and unfortunately i don't make any money from the podcast and so you guys can kind of imagine as far as what ends up taking um priority in fact this podcast actually costs me <laughs> costs me money um but that's okay because the knowledge i think that we gain and we learn uh, is is definitely worth it, and it's definitely worth it for you guys because you because you don't have to pay anything, um, but it it also works out very timely uh, due to some some recent happenings, and I'm kind of glad at least for messaging purposes that it did end up taking a little bit longer because because I think there's a perfect segue um, of what's of what's going on um, and, and we'll get to it uh, but just some some quick things that that have kind of been going on uh, in in recent days um, you know the the federal government talked about wanting to uh, basically um, force companies that have over a hundred employees to get vaccinated last number I saw I think there was like 27 or 28. Um, states that are kind of pushing back on that. But if you listen to the last episode, right, about the new Green New Deal, and if you have been following along with the show, we understand that what the, you know, the left, the progressives messaging and platform is now is what the, um, you know, the Republicans um, platform will be in, in several years. So, so my guess is, is that it will not be, it will not be mandatory. It will not be passed in its current iteration. Um, but expect, in my opinion, anyway, expect something along those lines in the future, right? 
um, because what'll happen in the future is is then the the people on the the right, the Republicans, right? They'll say, "Well, we support vaccine mandates by employers for COVID, but at least it's not whatever." you know, the, whatever the progressives might want at that time, right? Social credit scores or whatever, uh, which I guess, which I guess is probably pretty possible. So, so that was going on. So that's currently in discussion. Um, some of the other things that are going on, booster shots at this point are approved. I think Israel's on their, on their fourth shot, right? I think they're already talking about their second booster shot. Um, and so here in the States, they're, they're talking about booster shots. I think Pfizer CEO, who, by the way, has gone on record saying that he is not vaccinated <laughs> uh, because he's healthy and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And so he's like, I don't think I need it. Um, he has said that uh, life will go back to normal or he expects life to go back to normal in a year. Um, and then surprisingly enough, um, his multi-billion dollar profitable va vaccine he anticipates will probably be um, regular, right? You think about it like your, your flu shot kind of thing. So I don't think we can compare it anymore to, um, polio and mumps and, um, tetanus and all the things that you get vaccinated when you're a kid, because, you know, you don't have to get those all regularly. Um, so those are a couple of the big things that are going on, but I wanted to dive into today's episode because there's a lot to cover. Um, and it's, it's a beautiful topic in my opinion. Now I'm sure I'm probably not going to be the perfect person um, to lay this out. And I'm not the first person to do it. And I'm sure I won't be the last person to do it. Um, but I think it's an important message because we talk about how economic and business environments and circumstances affect us on a day-to-day -day basis, um, in our, in our daily lives. And I want, I want you guys to be able to see the, the types of parallels that I lay out there, um, that helps you um, become more knowledgeable when it comes to when it comes to these types of things. Um, but the the article that we're going to use, kind of our launching point, was going to be an article that was actually by the AP News, um, and the title of it was, you know, we're talking about the the three point five trillion dollar spending plan, right? Is is the title of it is what's the price of Biden's plan? Uh, Democrats drive for zero, <laughs> which if you've been listening to this show. That's hilarious because there's nothing that the government does that will cost zero. So reading a little further, it says, what will cost uh, to enact President Biden's massive expansion of social programs? Congress is authorized, blah, 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 blah. But Biden is um, uh, prodding Democrats to fully cover the cost of the legislation by raising taxes on the corporations and the wealthy. Now, two issues with that. One, corporations don't pay taxes. You pay taxes. I've been working in finance now for over a decade. You know what taxes count as? A cost. And you know what happens when costs increase for a business? Prices go up or profitability goes down. Profitability goes down for so long, a business can't survive and they go out of business. Um, so while there might be some cushion and there might be some headway where they can go, oh, well, you know what? Our profit margins on this is 20%. You know, we expect cost increases to go up. Our profits will go down to, to 11% or whatever it might be. We'll eat some of that, but then we pass the rest of that off to the customer. Um, or you're in, a, in an industry um, where your your margins are very thin. And guess what? Costs are going to go up. That's, that's just the way it's going to work. Um, and then they talk about the wealthy, right? Um, you know, you could confiscate the wealth of the top 100 billionaires in this country just confiscate all of it, right? Be Bezos and Musk and Bill Gates and all that kind of stuff. And you can't even run the federal government for a quarter. So we don't have 
we don't have a we don't have a a money issue. We don't have um, a, a revenue issue, right? We have a spending issue, which is which is something that we've talked about. Um, and so, you know, they're, they're also talking about saving some money, negotiating the price of prescription drugs and, and other sources of revenue, such as increasing IRS funding. The, the increasing the IRS funding is ridiculous because their, their logic is, is that rich people have accountants to fight the IRS. And so what they do is, is they fight the IRS and the IRS doesn't have the money to confiscate whatever wealth that they feel like they're entitled to. Um, so they go after poorer people, <laughs> which, you know, like us um, kind of thing. And so then there was a quote, though, that I wanted to put in here from from Mr. Biden himself is he says, we pay for everything we spend. It's going to be zero, zero. Now, he's partially correct um, because they're just going to print it, right? They'll just print it and then they'll inflate it away. I mean, that's kind of their, you know, that's kind of their M.O. at at this point. Um, but one of the things though, that I thought was very interesting and, and people have made this comparison a lot is the comparison of Rome, right? We, we compare a lot, um, of the, about the U S to Rome, um, the parallels as far as their empires go, uh, you know, the military dominance, the, the, the trade, um, just overall the empire of the U S versus the empire of Rome. And and what I wanted to do was draw some parallels specifically related to monetary supply, right? And debasing of currency. Because at the end of the day, Rome's debasing of their currency is what predicated the fall of the Roman Empire. Uh, their costs got too much. They had finite resources. And so they decided to inflate away their currency to try to pay for all of their expenses, and it resulted in in a collapse. And so I wanted to kind of draw and explain some parallels from what we are currently experiencing in the U.S. to Rome, strictly from a monetary um, a monetary standpoint, because I think that there are a lot, and and we talk a lot about the Federal Reserve, and we talk a lot about monetary policy um, on this show, and I think it's important to go into a little bit of the history and then and then compare it to the Roman um, situation and then kind of say, hey, this is how the Roman situation played out. Do we see potentially what our future is, is going to look like? And so to give you a, a little bit of history um, from the U.S. monetary policy, essentially the U.S. was on a gold standard from you know the early 1800s, right? And so what what that basically means is is that the currency's value is directly tied to gold. So you had um, a Federal Reserve note. Well, I guess it wouldn't have been it wouldn't have been a Federal Reserve note in the 1800s, but you would have had a currency, uh, a continental dollar potentially, uh, and it was tied specifically to um, an amount of gold. And so if you went to the bank and you said, "Hey, here's my three dollars." Um, I would like to redeem that for gold. And they would go, okay, all right, here's your $3 worth of gold and then we'll take that money. And so what that did was is it tied the the currency to a finite resource, right? And so what that, what that would allow them to do is it would allow to keep the supply relatively restricted, which would potentially keep monetary policy in check. Now, um, in, in November in 1910, there were six men 
who went to Jekyll Island in Georgia to the Jekyll Island Club, uh, who met in secret, right? It wasn't even made known that they even met until like 1930. Uh, but these six men, they met in secret. And their goal of this meeting was, how do we reform the banking system? Uh, now, they don't directly outright and say it, but they say, how do we reform the banking system to work in our favor, <laughs> right? Because they don't really care about helping normal, regular people. They care about being able to dominate and manipulate the system in their benefit. And um, and needless to say, in, in 1913, uh, the man who we can blame for 90% of our problems uh, these days, Mr. Woodrow Wilson, the worst president in the history of the United States, uh, especially as as stated by Mr. Scott Horton, um, passed the Federal Reserve Act. Now, the goal of the Federal Reserve Act was to provide stability in the financial uh, the financial markets. Um, so that was the that was the reasoning, right? Because what what they will do is they will manipulate the message and they will say. Look at this instability that we have. Um, you know, we can't have these free markets dictating this, and we can't have markets dictating that. And and you know, we need to have somebody who can control all of this and provide a stable financial uh, system. And so they passed the Federal Reserve Act. Uh, and then a lot of people believe that the Federal Reserve is part of the U.S. government, but it's not. It's it's a private entity, uh, and that's how they are able to get away with a lot of the shenanigans um, that they do. And the Federal Reserve is owned by member banks. And so member banks essentially buy shares of the Federal Reserve, and they're the ones that are able to help enact monetary policy. So essentially what happened, what the, the, the cliff notes of this is, is that people that we do not elect, people that we don't even know, other than, you know, currently like Jerome Powell, um, own our monetary supply, right? I mean, the, the people who own uh, the creation of money, um, we don't even know who they are. We don't get to elect them. We don't get to know anything about them, um, which, hey, you know, that's not shady, right? <laughs> um, and so that's kind of what, you know, what created the, the Federal Reserve and the Federal Reserve Act and that kind of thing. And so, um, it, again, the gold standard was still kind of there. Uh, we still had the gold standard in 1913, and, and it kind of re basically required the Fed to hold uh, about 40% of the currency value um, in gold. So if you simplistic terms, say there's $100 in circulation, uh, it's required that they hold $40 of gold um, in, uh, in reserve, and it was pegged to a conversion rate of $20.67 per ounce of gold. Now, to give you a little bit of context, I believe last I saw we're hovering around $1,600, $1,700 per ounce um, these days, you know, 2021, which, you know, not to go too conspiratorial on you, but there's a chance that that also could be suppressed, right? I mean, we haven't seen a lot of precious metal fluctuation over the past two years, yet we've seen trillions and trillions of dollars being printed so there so there you know is some some conspiracy theories there that kind of talk about well it's artificially being suppressed because prices of precious metals going up could be a, a key indicator of potential hyperinflation so they want to try to keep you know keep that down as as much as they can 
And so what ended up happening was is, is that so they were they were required to keep a certain um, amount of gold uh, associated with with those with those dollars. Uh, but in 1933, uh, there was, a, you know, I think, you know, 32. Right. This, some of these some of these time frames might sound somewhat familiar. Um, but there was a big run on the banking system. So everybody was like, no, 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 no. I don't want this paper money anymore. I want my gold. Give me my, give me my gold. I want to hold, I want to hold this metal that people have been using as a currency for thousands of years. I want to hold that in my hand. You take your paper. Uh, and so what does FDR say? FDR goes, whoa, hey, that's not a good idea. So I know what we're going to do. We're going to create a banking holiday. All the banks are closed. Nobody's allowed to get anything out of the bank. And, and everyone goes, wait a second. What do you mean I can't get my I can't get gold out of the bank? And they go, up oh, too bad, we're closed. <laughs> if you've ever seen It's a Wonderful Life, you know, there's there's you know some situations and stuff like that that that's kind of along those lines. Um so there was a banking holiday, and so FDR is like, oh man, what are we gonna do? I know what we're gonna do. We're gonna suspend the gold standard. Therefore, now your dollars are not tied to anything related to gold, and everyone's gonna go, wait a minute. What am I supposed to do with all of this, all of this, uh, this paper money? And they go, we don't care because it's not tied to gold anymore. <laughs> and so what, what he ended up doing was is they passed the Emergency Banking Act and it gave the president power to control gold, gold movement. So, um, you know, the, the people who owned gold were not just you and I, ordinary people, uh, but there were also specific entities and foreign entities as well. So there was a lot of gold. Um, that was also leaving our shores, right? That was leaving the country, um, and that was going, uh, um, you know, to other places, and and they didn't like that, right? So, so the the Emergency Banking Act gave them the power to kind of control gold um, ins and outs, and then also confiscate it. And so there was a period of time where they would actually confiscate um, people's gold, and then right, what what they would do is they would go. You know, we're taking your gold, um, and we're gonna take it by force because that's what we do, and and we're and we're evil people. Um, but don't worry, here's this paper currency, and you know, it's it's like in Dumb and Dumber, right? When they open up, whenever the the bad guy goes to open up the the briefcase, expecting to see his million dollars in there, and it's just a bunch of IOUs, and uh, you know, and, and they're sitting over there, and they're gonna, and they're and they're basically telling, them, they're like, yeah, but that's as good as money. They basically did the same thing, right? They they took everybody's gold, they gave them paper money, and they go, hey, that's as good as gold. Don't you worry, <laughs> which we all know is just completely not true. And so during this time period, what they ended up doing was is, is that um, oh, they they manipulated some markets to control pricing, um, and so they, they made the price of gold go up and price of other goods and stuff like that go up. So that way the dollar was actually going down um, and therefore it would make the dollar uh, more sought after and, and, and it would allow, um, you know, at what they saw as kind of fair trade and, and bring the U.S. dollar and the currency back into kind of more of a competitive landscape. And then they had the Gold Reserve Act in 1934, which kind of brought the, the gold standard back. But, I mean, at that point, right, who has a lot of faith in the system? If they've shown that they can just suspend and, and destroy whatever they want whenever they want, then who really cares? Um, and so they brought the Gold Reserve back uh, in 1934. And then there was some additional activity in the meantime. There was like the... Um, uh, the Bretton Woods system that was in the 40s, and that's where they kind of started talking about exchanging and creating the petrodollar. Um, and then the real collapse was of the gold standard was in 1971. 
So President Nixon uh, essentially removed completely the peg of the U.S. dollar to gold. And you, you can go back, uh, you, you can look this up online and you can kind of see, I don't even remember what the site's called. It's like, um, you know, what happened in 1972.com or something like that. And you start to see productivity skyrocket and, and, and wages stay relatively stagnant and the price of this goes way up. And, you know, basically once we completely abandoned the gold standard, um, and this is the reason why they did it, uh, is that it gave the federal government essentially free reign to print forever, right? Print to infinite, um, which is what Nixon wanted to do because he was right in the middle of the Vietnam War. And the Vietnam War was costing them way more money than they wanted. Um, and so he needed more money. And so what was the solution? I know. We'll take the dollar off of this gold standard and then we'll just have fiat money. And then we will basically just tell people, hey, it's it's still really valuable. You definitely want to hold this, this paper money. Um, and they didn't, they didn't really give people a choice. And then in 1979 is when the, the real petrodollar was kind of created where um, the U.S. And, uh, the Sa and Saudi Arabia um, essentially on the open marketplace. So the global marketplace of oil, um, oil must be traded in U.S. dollars, right? And so what that means is, is that countries all over the world must use the U.S. dollar, which is basically the reserve currency, to purchase oil contracts. So if you want to buy oil, you want to buy fuel, you have to have U.S. dollars. And so when we talk about inflation and we talk about hyperinflation, we talk about um, debasing currency and monetary policy, one of the things that's really kind of helping to keep our system in a bit of check is the fact that we are essentially able to export out our inflation because all of these other countries and stuff they need to hold us dollars and part of it also too is is because they're 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 even less fiscally responsible i know it's hard to believe but a lot of them are also less fiscally responsible than than we are and so to them um it's by having something pegged to the us dollar is actually more stable than using their own currency um and so the us dollar is is in a relatively unique position um, in, in that regard. And so that's kind of the history lesson as far as how we got to where we are right now um, in terms of, of the U.S. dollar. Now, I'm sure there's some historians that are probably going to listen to this or there are people that are you know history buffs and they're going to go, Danny, you missed a lot. I get it. I missed a lot. It's only a 30 to 40 minute podcast. I tried to get, I tried to catch everybody up to current day with some knowledge and experience um, when it comes to monetary policy in the U.S. And so what I wanted to draw the parallel to was, was, the, was the Roman Empire. And the benefit of this is, is because I think it at least gives us um, some foresight to be able to see this is, might be where we were related to Rome. So it gives us some kind of idea of where things might go down the road from, from where we are right now. And so the Roman Empire, uh, I don't think I have to tell you guys who Rome is, but essentially they, they existed around, you know, 25 BC up to about, you know, 500 AD. So about 500 years or so, um, 
I mean, still culturally, rele- culturally relevant, right? There's there's still Roman buildings that exist. Um, it's very well known and one of the greatest empires of, of all time. I mean, it stretched from England to Africa, uh, the Arabian Peninsula. I mean, they built... 50,000 miles of roads, a lot of them, well, not a lot of them, but some of them are still standing and, and, and usable today. They built um, amphitheaters, they built coliseums, they built aqueducts, they built massive temples. I mean, they the amount of engineering, um, uh, uh, level of engineering and, and capabilities of, of, of Rome is just absolutely astounding. Uh, but Rome was essentially built on two things. One of them was trade. Uh, if you've ever played any video games related to to the Roman Empire, especially that involved in trade, you you understood the value and the importance of having trade routes. My particular favorite one was Caesar Three, which is which is a pretty old game, um, but it was awesome. I mean, you, you really had to understand um, the trading aspect of it and, and the value that was there, uh, and military conquest. Right? I mean, even today, people still reference um, the legionnaires and 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 the Roman soldiers for uh, just their absolute effectiveness when it came to to battle and strategy and that kind of thing. And so that the Roman Empire was essentially built on on those two things. Um, and so how do you pay for this vast empire? And how do you keep a vast empire um, like that in check? And so what they used was was the denarius, which was their currency. And so when when it was used originally, it contained about four grams of pure silver, right? So it was essentially a silver coin um, that the emperor minted. And it stayed that way for about 100 years. So it was very stable, right? It was the most stable currency at the time. You could travel anywhere in the Roman Empire and you could use this currency. And you could even go outside of the Roman Empire and it was still regarded as a good trade of value. So people even outside the Roman Empire would take it um, because of that stability, because the, because the silver that was in there and they knew it was four grams here, four grams there. They knew um, what they were going to get by taking it. Uh, now, Emperor Nero was the first guy, right, who was like, wait a minute, Rome just had a giant fire. I got to pay for repairs. We don't have the money for this. I know what we're going to do. We're going to reduce the amount of silver that's in the coin, and then that will allow us to make more of them. And so they would do that by, you know, shaving corners or they would, you know, they would make the compound before they make it and they would reduce the quantity of silver, um, you know, that was in there. Excuse me. And they had about 3.3 grams of silver in um, the denarius after that. And so, you know, he was kind of the first one to, to really do that. And then what, what, what uh, his successors thought was, well, if Nero could do that, why can't I do that? You know, I mean, we've got bills to pay. We've got wars to fight. We've got soldiers to pay. Uh, I mean, it's very important that we pay for all of these things that we want to pay for. Um, We're just going to do the same thing. And so what you see is, is that over the next, you know, several hundred years, the quantity of silver that was actually in the denarius really started to decline. Another example of it would be uh, Septimus Severus, um, and his thing was is he really wanted to blow up the military, right? He wanted a big, strong, powerful 
military. And so he actually reduced it below two grams. And he had a quote that he said in it, and it really stood out um, to me because it really signified not just Rome at the time, but I think it also signifies the the mentality of a lot of the people who who lead our current government and it was pay the soldiers and ignore everyone else now obviously uh, you know in the u.s it's not just soldiers um it's it's right it's the the cronious um it's the 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 lobbyists it's it's basically anybody who has government connections including government workers right pay them uh and then ignore everybody else because everybody else doesn't matter Right. We're going to manipulate them. We'll do whatever we want. These are the people that need to be taken care of. And so when Severus said that, it really kind of stood out because that was kind of the mentality of Rome. Right. If you if you controlled the army, you controlled everything. Um, and so what happened was is, is that as the the currency became became more and more debased, what came along with it? Right. Instability. Um, you know, because when you don't have a stable currency, it makes things very difficult to trade, right? Because you might take some items somewhere else. Someone wants to pay you in this and you go, I don't want that. And they go, we don't have anything else. And you go, I'm not giving you my wheat or my corn or, you know, whatever it is. And so from, uh, to give you an idea, as far as the instability from about 175 AD to about 300 AD, the average reign per emperor dropped from 10 years to four and 84%. So you had an 84% chance of being murdered <laughs> if you were an emperor during that time. And in a 50 year period, 26 soldier emperors reigned in just 50 years. I mean, that's, that's what less than two years per reign. I mean, that's just crazy. Um, but it gives you an idea of the instability that gets created, and it goes back to kind of what we were talking about as well, as far as if you control the army, then you control everything. And so these soldier emperors, you know, kind of rise up, and then they don't do whatever the soldiers want, and they're murdered, and then somebody else kind of fills that fills that space. And so um, what you end up having created was you had the crisis of the third century where Rome experienced hyperinflation. Um, and so trade broke down. They couldn't export crops or they couldn't import or export manufactured goods and stuff, right? Because there wasn't any kind of a consistent system to be able to partake and trade. Uh, and so what happens as far as, the, as far as the Roman government goes? Well, they were taking in less money, right? Because the, the, the people weren't um, as wealthy as they were. But guess, guess what didn't go down? spending right their spending didn't go down because they have all this stuff that they need to pay for they've got armies to pay for they've got um barbarian mercenaries that they have to pay for they have people who are politically connected that they have to pay for um and so to, to give you a little bit of an idea as far as where that where that came from and where it went um soldiers that were paid in 14 a.d uh when augustus was emperor their annual pay was about 225 denarii um and then with caracalla uh and 198 and so about 200 so we're talking about the span of about you know a little less than 200 years uh, their average pay was around 750 denarii per year so about a 300 or so a bit higher than 300 percent increase in pay um and a little less than than 200 years uh, and so it just kind of gives you an idea of the type of inflation that they were experiencing, um, you know, during, you know, during that time. And, and so to give you a little bit of an idea in terms of the parallels regarding that, and, and one of the benefits that we have is, is that because the army 
and the soldiers were so important to Rome, we have very good detailed records as far as the soldiers. And that's how we kind of knew what their pay was. And so we can use that as, as a bit of a gauge. But to give you an idea here in the U.S., you know, since 1938, um, we've seen experience, we've seen cost increases in things like homes, um, cars, eggs, gas, bacon. I mean, you name it. And, and so many things are up over a thousand percent. And we're not even talking about a hundred years, right? I mean, that's what, 80, 80-ish years, somewhere in, there in that neighborhood. And we're talking about increases in prices of over a thousand percent. At least in Rome, it was like a 300% and it was a little less than 200 years. So what we're talking about here is, is a completely different scale um, than even in, the, uh, in the, the, the Roman Empire. And so eventually what ended up happening as far as the, the Roman Empire goes is they experienced hyperinflation. And, and similar scenario to the messaging right now, right, is, is taxes soared. Um, because they had to try to keep this revenue coming in. Um, and so hyperinflation, soaring taxes, and worthless money that they were creating, because eventually um, the denarius um, coin was just like, it was just like copper or, or other metals that was just dipped in silver, right? I mean, it didn't even have a percentage of silver. It just had a little coat and so you just rub it and, and it would come off. So it was, it was, it was virtually worthless. Um, but all of those created a trifecta that basically dissolved Rome, right? It dissolved Rome's trade, it, 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 which is the part of the, the, the original catalyst of it. And, and eventually Rome ended up dissolving because of the way that they let their currency um, get out of control. And I think we're in a similar situation where you know, they're printing up trillions of dollars and they're saying, well, it's okay because the rich and greedy corporations are going to take care of it, but none of them are keeping it to scale. None of them are keeping it in perspective in terms of exactly how much it is that, that they're talking about. And one of the quotes from Caracalla um, really also stood out to me as well when he said, and because I think it's very fitting to um, our federal government, not any, any particular person specifically, but but just in general, and he said, nobody should have any money but I, so that I may bestow it upon the soldiers, right? Because the soldiers are the ones that were going out and they were basically doing his bidding. You control the soldiers, you control everything. Um, and, and it's kind of fitting, you know, today, I believe uh, the governor of New York just laid off 70,000 healthcare workers for refusing to get vaccinated, many of which already have natural immunity because they worked on the front lines for 18 months. You know, it's only fitting that the majority of them would, would, would already have natural antibodies, but, but they don't care. And so they're bringing in the National Guard, right? They're bringing in National Guard, they're bringing in inexperienced people, they're bringing in retirees to help fill, um, you know, a lot of those, a lot of those gaps. Um, but but I'll, I'll repeat the quote because I, I think it's very important um, related to where where we are today, and it's nobody should have any money but I, so that I may bestow it upon the soldiers. And so it's something to think about um, when we're when we're talking about monetary supply, and we're talking about um, you know how we act and how we treat our daily lives, how we treat our long term perspectives when it comes to money, um, how to seek other avenues outside of just a fiat based. Um, economy, right? Where do we see this going in the future? And if you haven't listened to my episode that um, that I interviewed Clint Russell, who is the Liberty Lockdown podcast host, um, I'd go back and listen to it. I mean, we had talks about it. 
you know, I've, I've also interviewed Scott uh, from Cobra Trading, who does a lot regarding cryptocurrencies and, and things. And so uh, there are some resources, if this is the first episode that you're listening to, that I would go back and, and look at. Um, but just think about that, right? How do you, how do you foresee the, the way of positioning yourself in the future if we expect something similar to happen to us, um, you know, that, that happened to Rome? Um, but just food for thought. I, I loved the parallels. I just, I really uh, am glad that I got a chance to, to talk to you guys today. And I'm, I'm really glad I got a chance to, to do this episode. Um, and we will, uh, we'll talk again soon. Well, hopefully sooner than a month. <laughs> All right. All right. Bye.